And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. This beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Sam. Aha! To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. We have a usual suspects pod. We got Fred Katz back in the house on the East Coast. Mr. Katz, how the hell are you? I'm great. I'm great. I was sick. No, yes. not. I'm tell good. the people, Fred. Tell the. I was going to say great is just not. These are not normal niceties. That's a that's a an update. That's a progress report. That's much you know better and different than you were a little while ago. Well, I was uh, I was quite sick. I had COVID. I had it really bad. I was on the couch. I was unbelievably exhausted for many many consecutive days. And uh, and now I'm good. Now I'm energized. I'm ready to talk about basketball. I'm I good. like it. I like it. You look good. We're on Zoom. We can see your face and, and you got a little life to you. So uh, in all seriousness, you know, happy that you're through it and getting through it. You uh, you did not see the Knicks uh, get shellacked today. Um, so, you know, your team had a, a bad day at the office. It was Charlotte, right? Yes, yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, Miles so, Bridges, career high. Miles Bridges, what, career what high. What did he finish with? What did he finish with? 38. Finish? Okay. They, they definitely, I, I don't know what they talked about after the game, but a there's no question. I mean, it was a 20-something point game, and Miles Bridges was in the game with a couple of minutes left, just chucking up contested fadeaways out of double teams from from like 28 feet. And that was how he got to his career high, very clearly just trying to get his career high. He was ridiculous. Like He was 14 for 20 from the field. He's yeah, been great this year. 14 of 20 overall, 5 of 9 from 3. Charlotte doing their thing. Yeah. Not bad at all. That it's other, not, you know, I had to fly cross country today, but it's nice to. It's always nice to have daytime basketball. It I is. Currently, I'm looking at Bucks Hawks. I just watched the end of that Grizzlies game where John Morant went off and yep. Stephen Adams was tossing Tony Bradley out of the the picture. Um, I wish they would do this a little more often, like NCAA tournament style. Well, that other voice you hear, the commentary that preceded me is the one and only Anthony Slater back at home on the West Coast after a brutal Warriors road trip. Before we we throw it to you, Slater, I agree with you about two things you just hit on. MLK Day, obviously a very meaningful day. Um, so one kind of thing that comes to mind that I thought uh, I agreed with today is Mark Spears of ESPN had tweeted that he wished 
the NBA would have every single team wear MLK Day jerseys, kind of like the Hawks do. Uh, I think that would be a cool move and, and kind of, you know, pound the point even more about what what today means and why they decided to set the games up the way they do. But from a basketball standpoint, I'm with you 100%. I was actually just telling my wife, I'm like, you know, at night during a normal NBA day, you know, we only have one brain. Like if you're trying to cover the whole league, if there's five games on at once, you know, I, I kind of max out at two or three. You can't process much more than that. The chance like Christmas day style to watch game after game after game. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves. You don't have the chaos that comes with Christmas itself and the holiday season. So, you know, I mean, I, I kind of approach today like a work day and, uh, and it's been nice. You're, you're watching more closely when the Cavs take care of the Nets, the Kevin Durant list Nets, you know, and, and Memphis, you see them putting on a show on TNT and showing people that they're for real. So, some good stuff today. Uh, on today's show, here's how we're going to do it, gentlemen. Uh, because it is that time of year, February 10th, trade deadline is coming up quick. It's going to be all things trade from here until the deadline at the the top of the show. I think it's safe to say that much. And, you know, not surprisingly, we will start with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia, work our way out from there. Uh, but we want to get into some other stuff too. And most notably, this theme where you've got a lot of either elite or high profile teams that are suddenly without big time stars. And, and there's quite a few of them. And we'll talk about the impacts therein and uh, and what it means for the lay and land. But gents, um, when it comes to trade season, we, we, you know, we had this Cam Reddish trade with New York that Fred, you and, and Chris Kirshner, our guy out in Atlanta, did a really nice job breaking down that deal. You know, Kevin Knox in a first coming back to Atlanta. Um, but by and large, you know, like that's kind of the only action we have so far. We're waiting to see what Philly does. All eyes continue to be on Daryl Morey of the Sixers. The the two micro developments, in my opinion, this week on this front were for one, I, th- I think we did touch on this last week, but you know, the Tobias Harris inclusion in talks and the idea that if Philly can't get one of the guys that they really, really want, then the kind of consolation prize is, well, if you take Tobias, then maybe we feel good about a trade. But the other thing is, how about Joel Embiid telling the media that he's happy and that he does not see, quote, any urgency to make a change, uh, seemingly backing the stance of Darren Morey in the Sixers front office and sending a message to suitors that, you know, desperation is not going to drive these conversations. That's smart from Joel Embiid, right? Even if that's not how he's privately viewing it, um, it seems like he's like kind of lockstep with Daryl Morey, and like that helps Daryl Morey's leverage. Even if they're both saying, "Look, this has got to be done by the deadline," and I do not know if that's what they're saying, Joel Embiid saying that to me just like helps Philly's stance, right? Yeah, I mean, if you want, whether you want to get something done or whether, like you said, he feels the opposite way, the best way to get something done is by not giving the other teams leverage of making it feel like Philly is is desperate, right? Because then all of a sudden these these offers are going to be worse. So, you know, even if even if Embiid is saying I want something done, his best way to get something done is to project that he's fine with nothing being done. Well, and to that point, you know, the thing I do enjoy doing this time of year is you end up having to update things on a weekly basis regarding you know, not only, okay, what's going on with these talks in these teams and these players, but as the games go on, you know, the context changes and that impacts the pressure and the urgency therein. So the Sixers going into today had one nine out of 10. Um, they, uh, let's see now 24 and 18. Why am I drawing a blank on who they just got beat by uh, your wizards? Washington. Yes. Yeah. Your old wizards, Fred. Um, 
you know, so a setback in, in terms of this one game, but Joel Embiid playing really good ball and, uh, and Sixers winning games. I mean, to your point, Slater, it is the smart thing to do. I don't know that I believe it. I have talked to people who don't believe it, who who basically do think, and I was a little surprised to hear this, that like Joel and Daryl, that that relationship actually is, you know, they are simpatico to the point that, you know, that those kinds of talking points, you know, that Joel would kind of agree to to strike all the right notes. You know what I mean? And and, and Joel's a manipulator, right? <laughs> He's a media manipulator. I think proudly. So and, sure. and he to me he seems more than even other stars like he kind of likes the uh conversations around uh, the the NBA and and even some of the mechanisms and free agency and and trade rumors. I don't know. I mean I I just and also the other thing is and Sam, I mean you mentioned this, maybe there is this long game of potentially hardened down the line and if Maury can hint that behind the scenes at yeah. Embiid. Maybe that allows him to stay patient. I don't know. I hadn't mentioned that yet. I think you're you're half tipping the uh, the old tampering notes. I did throw it in there, and, and I'm I'm with you. Like we've written that, we've said that, and, and you do continue to run into people who have pretty strong suspicions that the end game here now is no different than it was last summer when Daryl was trying to get James Harden, and and even to the point I made about everybody's situations evolving. Okay, let's look at today's game out in Brooklyn. So Kevin Durant, all of a sudden, you know, is out with an MCL sprain for four to six weeks. James Harden and Kyrie Irving are having to keep their heads above water with the Nets, you know, for quite a while here. But the Nets' existence is not what James Harden thought it was going to be to this point. Kyrie, with his vaccination situation, has been extremely problematic. Um, James went out of his way, you know, a while ago to... Not, you know, not sign the extension to tell the media basically that, oh, don't take anything from it. But I just, you know, I'm going to go ahead and be a free agent. If you're Philly and you're Daryl and you feel like you got somewhat close to actually getting that deal done before and then you still see opportunity. I mean, we all know like that's Daryl's white whale. You know what I mean? That's his guy. That's his his unicorn that he used to do some really good things with and would love a reunion, obviously. Yeah. I mean, also, is it is it so crazy if if Embiid really was being honest, I mean, stars for the most part, like real true stars of Embiid's level, their their priority tends to be, even if they want to stay where they are, their priority tends to be playing with other stars, right? And that's what this holdout is about. It's about being able to bring in somebody who isn't necessarily Buddy Heels level, but somebody who is a star equal to Simmons's level, you know, a, a hopeful all-star is kind of what they're hoping for with a trade like this. So I I think it's kind of consistent with what you see from other stars around the league, which is, you know what, I'd it's worth it to be able to play with another star. If you bring in three role players, that's just not going to pique my interest the same way. Not only well, that, let me let me kind of add on to that because that's a good point, Fred. I thought about this today in terms of Joel's psychology. Listen, if you're just looking at competitiveness for the Sixers this year and you're Joel, now all of a sudden you're hearing that the Sixers are trying to attach Tobias to these talks. And we can even start with, my, you know, Slater and I's neck of the woods near in Sacramento. The Kings, I do believe, are actually pondering the idea of doing Simmons and Harris. I don't think that's off the table. Now, if you're Joel and you, you hear that you're going to get, you know, I don't know, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Hill. Uh, I don't think you get Harrison too, but you know, like you said, three guys who are good players, but you don't think they're Ben Simmons and you don't think they're Tobias Harris competitively. You might fall off in a major way in the short term. You know what I mean? And if you're Joel, 
Joel doesn't care that that Tobias is making forty million next year. That's not his bank account that that's coming out of. That's just a really good player that might be leaving town. You know, as part of the Simmons situation, you lose two really good guys. So this summer, the, it was kind of a, a common conversation around the Warriors before they exploded. It was like, are are the Warriors wasting a year of Steph Curry by not you know cashing in the draft picks and Wiseman for for win now? And like Steph Curry's message to that was two things. Number one. He was saying, I'm in on all the conversations and that matters, right? I like what you guys know on the outside. I know 10 times more on the inside. So I know our options, number one. And number two, his thing is like he is still looking at this next Warriors run as a three to five year type plan. Like, and he cares about the next few years also. Um, and if I'm a, and I'm relating that to Joel Embiid, because number one, assuming he he has this close relationship with Daryl Morey, he knows that a lot more than we do about what the true options are. And two, like, I think Joel Embiid probably knows that, like, you know, what Daryl Morey is saying, like, this is not just about this season. Like, Joel Embiid probably cares about the next three to five years for the Sixers and and Ben Simmons is their only bullet. Right. And and I think they're both like it should be, you know, shot wisely, essentially. I mean, Embiid has also seen what happens if you lose a star and you don't get one back. How many times has Joel Embiid referenced or brought up Jimmy Butler leaving? You know, it's it's happened so many times. I mean, he's That's he's seen what he's seen what happens when a star See, a he, star leaves, yeah. you lose him, and you don't get a star back. He and Daryl are are both kind of burned. Like I've always focused on Daryl and that Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade that I do think has shaped his mentality in the moment that he doesn't want to be on the losing side of a big time deal. But but that's a hell of a point about Joel with Jimmy because we all know now in retrospect that you know the combination of kind of feelings and locker room dynamics, you know, and, and kind of court chemistry led to Jimmy's exit, but there's really no reason that Jimmy shouldn't still be in Philly. Yeah, for sure. And it's not like he walked for nothing. I mean, when, when that trade happened, I mean, it's not like anybody was saying Josh Richardson is the equivalent of, of Jimmy Butler. Nobody believed that, but there were, Oh, Josh Richardson. That's a, that's a real fit for them. At least they got something in return for Jimmy Butler. And, and it's just, you know, if I'm, if I'm in beat, I think it's reasonable. You know, your, your, your opinions are, 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 are crafted by your past experiences. And, and we've, we've heard him reference the Jimmy Butler stuff and, He's not wrong about it at all. Jimmy Butler was an incredible fit there and was running their offense in the postseason and is an incredible player. And I just, I, it must be frustrating to lose two stars like that and, and get none in return. So I don't, I don't think it's so out there to say that this is just how Embiid thinks. Sure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One of the teams that has been tied to the Ben Simmons situation, but that is definitely worth exploring on its own, is the Indiana Pacers. Um, 
And, you know, listen, as far as the Simmons stuff goes, who knows? I think they are in the mix and, and we'll see what unfolds there. But but what are your guys' thoughts on the Pacers in general? Miles Turner has got a left foot injury right now. They're just calling it a sore left foot um, that is being monitored, but doesn't seem to be so serious that it, it would impact his trade market. Um, you know, Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report had some interesting notes today you know, talking about miles with Dallas. And and I thought I'm a sucker for the personal dyna- uh, dynamics, as you guys know. So him highlighting that Rick Carlisle, of course, first year Pacers coach coming from Dallas and, and the idea that Rick might value some of the Mavericks pieces more than other teams. And, and that could impact, you know, kind of the, the odds, if you will, of the Pacers uh, sending miles Turner to Dallas, I thought was worth kind of remembering um, you know, and then you got plenty of other guys there too. Demonis Tabonis, a guy that 100% is on Sacramento's radar and a lot of other teams. You know, Karis Levert is more of a, they're just at this point, I think, trying to get off him type of thing. Uh, but what are you hearing? What are you thinking on the Pacers front? I I think Miles Turner is a really interesting trade candidate. I, he's he's one of the more interesting ones in the league, assuming he's healthy. He's he's reportedly going for a second opinion on the foot. Second and, opinions are never good, right? Yeah, it's exactly. never a good term to be used um, because he didn't like me. the first opinion, right? I yeah. assume. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you said I'm fully healthy. No, let's check again. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's uh, he has an injury history. It's not like crazy, but, you know, he's a big who's who's dealt with a lot of di- various ailments over the years. It's something before this I would have added to like, you know, if, if you're a front office thinking about trading for him, like, you know, how his body's going to hold up is something I would always think. Anyway, go ahead, Fred. No, I was just going to say it. It's it's really interesting just to me, just because like, Miles Turner is not necessarily an an uncommon player in terms of quality. Like he's not, he's not an all-star. He's never been an all-star, even though he's a very good defender and he's led the league in shot blocking two of the last three seasons. He's never been on an all defense team in that sense. He's not necessarily totally and completely rare, but he is a little bit of a unicorn in terms of the archetype of player that he is. And I think that's what makes his market so interesting and that there are just it's so rare for a player who can shoot threes well enough for the defense to actually go out and guard him and who can block shots at an elite rate to become available. Those types of players just don't really become available. Like Jaron Jackson gets locked up to a nine figure contract, you know, I mean, or, or they're just guys who are absolutely top of the line, elite centers like Joel Embiid. We just don't really see big men who have those two skills. Uh, It tends to be one or the other. And it's so useful to have a guy who is going to block shots and not clog up your offense. It allows you to have a four who can be a playmaker and have space. It's just, it's it's such an unbelievably helpful archetype of player in today's game. Uh, And and while Turner's not an elite three-point shooter, you got to guard him. And he is a really, really good rim protector. I, I just, I think that's why Dallas is so good for him. I think the Knicks would be a great fit for him because it would give Julius Randle opportunity to to have space and create as opposed to playing next to a rim diving center like he almost always does because Tom Thibodeau likes to have rim protection. Uh, I just, I, I think he fits in a lot of places because of that. The archetype reminds me of Serge Ibaka a little bit, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, but with Dallas, um, I mean, does that spell the end of Porzingis? Because that's theoretically Kristaps Porzingis, right? Hits threes, block shots. 
I mean, I assume it wouldn't be Turner. It's at least another version of, you know, Turner and Sabonis. I mean, that's what, that's not what Turner would want. That's a lot of these situations where you hear about miles possibly going. My first thought is, well, you know, you kind of want a happy miles Turner. And he's one of those guys that right now, a la Jeremy Grant going to uh, Detroit and so many guys before him, he wants a bigger role. John Collins in Atlanta right now, he just wants more. And so that's a good point Slater. And, and in Dallas, I think for sure, you know, he'd be kind of competing for that ball with KP and, and Luca. But the problem with that is Miles Turner as like a number two or number three on, uh, best player on a team is a bad team. And bad teams right now are not. So Sacramento it is. <laughs> Kings it is, baby. No, um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, most I, yeah. of the teams that are you know interested in the deadline are like, ooh, that looks like you know our fifth best player who who's a plug it in like center for twenty five minutes a night, not like, hey, Miles Turner, this is your franchise, come on board. Right, you you don't want to give him the ball in the post ten times a game. I mean, That's he's just, like currently like what the third or fourth best player for a really bad Eastern Conference team. I mean. He's not going to suddenly then go be the number two guy for a playoff team. It's just, anyway. No, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Otherwise, guys, the, the the trade stuff has been somewhat slow. I, you know, I think it's going to heat up. Um, Wait, so Sam, can we go back to the Pacers for a second? Tell me. Is yeah. that okay? Of course. Can I can I re-steer this? What what do you what do you think of the Sabonis market? You're in Sabonis COVID recovery. Is, I'm not going to say anything to you. You do whatever you want, Fred. Just I, I have been, Fred Sabonis was actually already traded about five days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now Fred did admit that he lost a little bit of touch with the NBA. We should just put him yeah. out there. Like what what's a trivia question for Fred Slater that would expose, you know, his his lack of paying attention. As he lay on the couch. What major happened in the last week? You can ask me what team Cam Reddish plays for. Yeah. We'll get to it more later, but you didn't, well, you wrote a story on that. I, you know, you're good there. I was going to say, we'll get to it more later, but when we were exchanging notes about MVP, you didn't like a few of my MVP takes. I think maybe that was a product of, uh, of, of you thinking from three weeks ago. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I haven't, I haven't had personal interaction in a week and a half. He did ask us how Durant looked today in the for, for the Thunder. Yeah. yeah. No, I was. I, I, I wanted to just. I think the Sabonis trade market is really interesting because I think the Pacers really value him a lot, as they should. He's a two-time All Star and extremely good, but he's like he's kind of the the opposite of of what I was saying with Turner, right? Where he's a very specific fit in terms of the way that he plays. And he's, you know, an excellent player. He's really one of the best passing. Like, I think one of the five best passing big men in the entire league. Uh, But like, Sam, what do you think is going to end up being the market for him? Do you see any chance that he ends up getting traded before the deadline? Is he more of like an offseason move? How, How do you think that ends up developing? I don't know the market um, <laughs> because I'm not traveling as much right now because of COVID and I go to more Kings games kind of per capita than I normally would. I'm admittedly a little more tuned in there. Um, they, they, I mean, if they can't get Simmons, then I, then they're going for Sabonis. Um, that's one and two. So that's one team that in terms of interest slash desperation, you know, I don't know how many others are, are, are that hot. I'm talking Kings right now. Yeah. Could take There's us, a lot of pressure. Take us in, interior there right right now, like because I mean they might. You're kind of painting it as like they might be the team of the deadline. Oh, I think they for sure might. Um, I'd be stunned if they didn't make a big trade. Um, 
you know, it, it's, it's weird to see people casually talking, you know, people of influence casually talking about like, yeah, you know, De'Aaron's in discussions, you know, we, we, you know, not telling teams to not talk about De'Aaron. Um, Halliburton's a different one. It's not that he's untouchable. It's more like, you know, if, if he gets a deal over the finish line and it's a, 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 you know, incredible deal, then maybe he ends up being in it. But the idea in general that nobody's untouchable is new, but the, the pressure component. And I think uh, later in the week, David Aldridge and I and, and John Hollinger are going to do a little round table on this, like trying to assess pressure around the league, but there's a lot in Sacramento, you know, Monty McNair's in his second year as GM. And I mean, the, the word from ownership is like, it's, He's been kind of keeping his his kind of his uh his his powder in his gun this entire time. Other than drafting, as you guys know, he hasn't made big trades. He's made a few smaller ones, but there is a real expectation for him to make a move now. And you know, I think something is going to happen there. So it just becomes, you know, I think Simmons is priority one, right? So, but there's so many teams in the mix for Simmons. We haven't even talked about Portland. I think they've got their own level of desperation. Miles Turner in the running for Portland too. I think a lot of teams are looking at Simmons and Turner as one and two and working their way out from there. But for the Kings, Sabonis is is on the short list, uh, I think even above a guy like Turner. Monty McNair also thought he made a trade or was very close in the summer, yeah, right? That, yeah. one, that was a relatively big swing, like mid-tier trade, you'd yeah. probably say. But for the Kings, that was a huge trade, right? And I mean, I don't Buddy know. Buddy Hill to some, the Lakers in case yeah, anybody Buddy forgot. Hills, yeah, yeah, with Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell coming back. Right. Um, that's, yeah. I, I mean, look, they're currently 18 and 28, um, 11th in the conference. Obviously, at minimum, ownership is expecting 10th in a playing game. I'm sure they'd hope 9th for just a home game. Now, should that be priority, you know, number one in the organization? Probably not, but it is. Um, they're currently behind the Blazers. Yeah. It's just not good. Yep. Well, I mean, Anthony Simons is trying to do something about that. He's playing his butt off up in Portland, but. Yeah, they the, the dynamic is weird in SAC because there's a ton of pressure and they've pushed back a little bit against the question of how much pressure, meaning like, you know, all right, is somebody going to lose their job this summer? You know, they say, oh, you know, they don't want the chaos anymore. And so they they push back on those kind of narratives. You know, that's the way it was put to me yesterday. In fact, when I was at the game was that they understand it's time to get away from the chaos, meaning you can't just keep firing people. Well, in the same kind of space, you'll hear very strong chatter about if a trade doesn't happen, you know, that Vivek Ranadive is not going to be happy. Where the dynamic gets even better and more fascinating is that I think Vivek knows and he's got people in his ear telling him that, you know, it's one of those things where if you just keep blaming everybody else, then the fans are going to eventually turn on you even more than they have and and that spotlight is going to be on the owner even more than it is. And I think that's a major consideration. So within, you know, like... Their, their coach is also an interim coach right now. So, I mean, they could talk about... He like, is, and, and I will say he's an interim, but um, I, I hate I hate admitting what I don't know on our tampering pod. But, like, when Alvin was promoted, um, there were in the negotiations discussions about his desire to have some assurances for next season if there was success. And it's my belief that, you know, I think something like that exists within his contract. So everything is about the play in baby. That's get what I'm saying. Like I 10, get that. 10. I think like, you know, I, I think Alvin could be back next year. 
the uh, play. In. I think happens. Fred's got some play in takes, by the way. It's just I, it's ruining the deadline. I believe he was saying. Or that something. was my yeah. Play in does ruin the deadline. I nothing I'm but not, buyers, baby. I'm not. I'm not anti playing in general. I I was anti playing until I went through the play in, and I was like, fine. It is. It is fun and. The seven and eight seeds aren't that consequential in the long term anyway. Like I Lakers Warriors last year, seven eight. That was something. Yes, it was. I'm not I'm not Hey Grizzlies not Warriors. Anti. That was like the That the, was also that something. That was like the you know, the beginning of the Grizzlies rise was taking out the, the Warriors. Oh yeah. Of a rivalry. Um, the Grizzlies yeah. are hey, awesome. Fred, let me ask you something though. If the, if the Kings just take a bazooka to their entire roster at the deadline because they're so obsessed with the ten seed, maybe the play-in's good for them. No, deadline. no. The reason that I I think the play-in is ruining the deadline is is just because and and, and that's that that was a strong take for the for the sake of our of, Don't of walk spicing up our slack. This is we're our rant. I didn't takes. walk it back. I yeah. I'm not walking it back. I didn't even say it. Slater proclaimed it on my behalf. I I. Uh, you know what? Screw it. The plane is ruining the trade deadline. <laughs> it Bing is. Bong. It's <laughs> look. What are the it, Knicks going to do? There Fred? are so many buyers now. And Sam, I know, I know, this is your pet peeve. Just putting teams cleanly in buyer or sellers, and with no in between. But there are so many buyers now because of teams like the Kings, who are who are are sitting at whatever they are, sixteen and twenty seven. I don't know. Josh Primo was like in tenth grade when I went into quarantine, so I don't know where anybody is. But. <laughs> But the Kings are sitting there at, at the end where, where you know, normal year, maybe they're sellers. And now a team like that is a buyer. A team like Portland is a buyer. Uh, and so it just it just throws off the ratio is all I'm saying. When half the teams make the playoffs, half the teams don't make the playoffs, you, you have a nice and, and even match. And we're more so now it's like, all right, you got the Pacers who are selling off their pieces. And it's like, you don't really have that much, you know. The Hawks, I think, will probably you make some moves. Detroit, listen to Jeremy Herb Graham. Simon. Herb Simon, longtime Pacers though. owner, right? You know, it's, it's kind of pulling back on the idea of the Pacers as, as nothing but sellers, and that's kind of where the definition always drives me crazy. Is that you know, if you're a team like the Pacers and you're saying you're not actually going to go into full rebuild mode and swap Sabonis and Turner, guys like that, for picks and prospects, then you become a hybrid and there's a lot of hybrids and even the Kings, I mean, the Kings are, they're, they're willing to sell the crap out of their roster, but you know, but they're buyers, they're, they're out there trying to get all-stars. So, um, but it is Fred's general point is everybody's out on the lawn right now with all of their pieces. Like, come on, cheap, uh, come on over here. But everybody's yelling at everybody else. Like, come on. Exactly. Like, that's why I, I actually is think that your that's Eldorado been, Hills voice later. I was actually envisioning myself in my driveway yelling around to my neighbors like a buddy healed over here. <laughs> I think it's been a, a factor getting back to the Ben Simmons stuff. Like, I think it's been a factor in, in why we haven't seen a Ben Simmons deal. It's even harder. Everybody says, ah, you know what? Just find a third team. There's all this talk of this mysterious, oh, you'll find a third team in the Simmons deal and make it better. It's harder to even find a third team because that third team that's going to be giving up the player and taking back somebody else's draft picks, uh, you know, that 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 team is much harder to find because it, all these teams this, are trying to make the plan. This could theoretically create a chaotic deadline, though, because like it, it does feel, you know, play in or not, whatever, it does feel like you do have a lot of like desperate, like kind of unhappy franchise unhappy with their positioning just even if even if the shakeups don't you know two days later we're not going like wow they're much more positioned to have a playoff run i don't think there's going to be much of that at the deadline but you have a lot of teams like the kings the hawks even the, the blazers that are just like this core is not working it needs to be shaken up even if you don't consider that buyer seller or whatever like and the deadline will create 
activity potentially and and maybe we can test your theory post deadline totally uh, and and i'm i'm gonna i've put myself in a position right now to look like an extraordinary moron in three weeks so when it's just at least you got the yakin purdle take right you know what i mean like you got Yaka that, Pertle. yeah. Man, he did. He did. Pertle, I think good. he said DPOY. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I said MVP. Yaka Pertle is is good, and Dejounte Murray. Oof. He is something. The check is in the mail from Greg Popovich. He's out there trying to get him an All Star berth. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Speaking of the deadline and buyers and sellers and, you know, the activity that we think is probably coming our way, I wish every GM publicly was out there like Travis Schlank, who just decides to go on local radio and say, maybe I shouldn't have brought all these guys back. Like, damn. <laughs> yeah, you see, he, I, I, was it on radio or was it in a group interview the other day talking about the Reddish trade? He was just like, you know, oh, this, you know, this guy didn't want to be here. Blah, you know, you again, like you were yeah. saying, you don't usually. He's, well, hear. you know Slater from, I mean, he was obviously yeah, in the Warriors front office for a long time. Guy. Yeah, he, he doesn't have much of a filter. So, um, you know, the reporter in me loves it. Uh, let's talk hoop guys. And, and, uh, we'll, we'll keep talking trades and every tampering going forward. Like I said, February 10th coming up quick, but, um, this new theme and this new trend of big time players going down, you know, at the, basically at the halfway point here is going to have a ripple effect, certainly on the standings, on the playoff seedings, all of the above. Uh, I don't know where you guys want to start. I, I will predictably, and to some probably annoyingly start with a team that is not elite and not at the top, but always talked about the Lakers, you know, already down Anthony Davis for quite some time. They are now five and eight without AD, who is coming back from an MCL sprain, reportedly likely to come back by the end of the month. Um, <clears throat> I know this is an older one. AD has been out for quite some time, but my goodness, latest quick thoughts on Lakerland, where I, if nothing else, this is my shameless way of bringing this topic up because I'm talking to Anthony Slater, former Thunder Beat writer, Fred Katz, former Thunder Beat writer. Katz, he's trying to shout out to get him <laughs> getting a Bigfoot sighting the other day. He got a one-on-one, just lovely. How, well, how are you, did Russell I do Westbrook? this? How are you, with, Sammy? It was like, you guys watch Westworld at all on, on HBO? Like Sam, first of all, he, Fred doesn't even know what happened because this happened that's while true. he was in Oh, I read captivity. it. I read it, marveling, marveling the whole time. It was like oh, he was a did robot you think you were just Westworld. in a fever, a COVID fever dream? Like, <laughs> this couldn't happen. Sidling with Russ. Go ahead. Anyway, yeah, I talked to Russell Westbrook after they beat the Kings. Um, one of the more certainly, I would say this is a low bar, but probably the most memorable regular season post game media session I've been a part of during the COVID era. Uh, meaning 
that everything for the listeners who don't know, like we, we end up moving much differently these days in terms of media access. They bring us into a room, you know, where we sit socially distanced from the players and the coaches. We have our masks on and talk in that setting. We are not in the locker room uh, because of what's happening with the virus. And so Russ comes in, um, is in a better mood than I think anybody in the room anticipated, given the fact that he had just had another bad night. I think two of 13 shooting from the field, they lose to the Kings. The sound man uh, in Sacramento who had everybody laughing was was playing, you know, as cold as ice from the, the old foreigner song every time Russ would miss a shot. And that got the crowd going and Russ swore that he didn't hear it, which I 100% don't believe. So anyway, he ends up, after the press conference, talking to a handful of reporters and just having the kind of vibe that you guys know he's not known for. He's always running hot, especially after bad games. And he was very zen. I mean, he and I talked about, I I wanted to just know two key questions. For one, you know, it's cliche, but I think worth inquiring about is like, where's your head at in regards to the failures, if you will? And the question of, you know, is the frustration reached the point of having any regrets for pushing for this move. And then beyond that, you know, where's your head at in terms of the idea that, that the Lakers for sure have, you know, have thought and talked about trading him. And I I wanted to know how that would land with him. Uh, Those are fine questions, but as you two know better than anybody, the idea that he actually fielded them and and was willing to chat is, is not his normal style. Like I just almost want to know what his response when you went up to him for this. I, I mean, I, I don't think he's ever taken a sidle. Slayer, he yeah, was, that's uh, that's. Can I can I do the same mimic and just take people behind the scenes for an extra thirty seconds? Yeah, which is, it. it's one thing to to call up a team, go through PR, say I want to put together this big story on a guy. You think I could get five, ten, fifteen minutes talking to him while I'm in town? I'll fly in. And then they set it up through PR and they say, okay, Westbrook will every once in a while, you know, during his MVP season, for example, he did three or four of those for big profiles with Sports Illustrated and ESPN and so on. Uh, And it's completely different in your situation when a guy is just walking out of the building and you say, hey, you got five minutes. And there's some guys who are totally willing to talk. And I don't remember a situation where Westbrook is... Like Slater, do you remember a situation where Westbrook has actually talked in like a, like that's what a sidle no, is? No, I, I remember several where he scoffed at the idea of it. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but I mean, so he, the one thing I'll say outside looking in, uh, not even just the fact that obviously Sam got this interview, he has been more pleasant in like group settings, even and, and, while dealing with probably the most like turbulent time as a player he does it reminds me a little bit of like late career kobe although that was sure. to a different level yeah. but you know he's he's like, been hot those and press cold. conferences he gives are not oklahoma city press conferences. he's still hot and cold but um i think i agree with you that he's you know there's there's been more you know kind of doable press conferences than before he still has those where he looks at his phone you know, while, while you're trying to talk to him and that, you know, I think is upsetting to some reporters just from a human standpoint, this one, I'll give you the, the short version. We can keep it moving, but like he did, used to answer his questions while tying his shoes in right. Oklahoma city. And like there you know, was the a TV press. people would be like, Oh, what? you know, cause there they're trying to get an actual video of it. They're like, he's tying a shoe while he's answering. <laughs> there anyway. was a press conference in Boston four years ago that Brett Dawson, who was covering the, the thunder for the Oklahoman at the time, 
just remembers is the funniest thing he has ever seen in his life. And I can't disagree with him where Russ came out in this platinum silver jacket, wearing the hood, covering his whole face in the middle of a press conference, went down to tie his shoe, started readjusting his to-go bag, like just bent over during the press conference. And uh, it, it's, yeah, it's he doesn't do that stuff as much anymore. This he's, one he's, was, he's here's what happened. Dan Wojcicki from the LA Times deserves a little credit. Uh, Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports also. So the the it, the, the mood ended up kind of unintentionally being like the conversation in the main press conference. I think was a substantive one, but ended up being you know fairly sympathetic to Russ's plight. You know what I mean? Like Dan had had talked to him about um, the game, but from a you know, trying to understand things standpoint, there wasn't a lot of edge to what he was asking Russ. You know, Chris had asked him a question about the fans and they had a little bit of a confusion because Russ thought he was asking about the way Laker, I'm sorry, Kings fans had treated him that night. He was actually asking about Laker fans, but it, it kind of just put him in a headspace where he was talking about what it's been like for him. And then, you know, on the side with with our Jovan Buha there as well and, and Mike Trudell from Lakers TV and Spectrum, the, the thing that preceded he and I walking off was that entire group having a three or four minute conversation. This is post press conference where, you know, we were talking about cold as ice. We were talking about the Laker fan experience. Um, I think he just kind of felt like, you know, for a few minutes that the media wasn't, you know, beating up on him. And then it was, when we walked out, I literally just said, Hey, I got one more thing to bounce off if you don't mind. And he couldn't have been more chill about it. So um, yeah, unique experience, but the Lakers, I mean, they leave Sacramento and, they just keep getting pounded. Um, who did they just drop to last night? Nuggets, absolutely. Holy smokes! There it yeah, is, thirty-seven. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to catch up with my own notes here, but they yeah, got I, I mean, like their defense in that game, and that's when the Magic Johnson has the tweet, or yeah, the tweet, basically <laughs> like Genie Bus, you don't deserve this. LeBron's Le- apologizing, which never yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, look, they're not built well. No. And the Russell, like, I'm glad Russell Westbrook is is opening up the way he is, but I just don't see his on-court issues being solved there. They're, what, 21 and 22? LeBron is the, – the problem for, for in all this is, like, this isn't like a, hey, like, wait till LeBron turns it on. It's turned on. Like, LeBron is, like, really good right now, but there's just issues all around him. And, like, Davis coming back obviously will solve some of the defensive problems. It's just some of the win-loss problems, but – I mean, I just think it's a team not built well well enough that is like coming to that reality themselves. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, when we did our predictions and and we were choosing which team was going to come out of the West, I said the Lakers. And part of the reason was just because like the Lakers had the largest variance of any team in the league. This happening, not shocking. Them coming out, going gangbusters and winning 60 games and going to the finals also wouldn't have shocked me. And I just kind of thought that it would have been possible for them to go in that direction. And I remember when I said that, Slater just cut me off and was like, yeah, but is Russ really going to screen? Is he really going to cut? (laughs) (laughs) Is he really going to do all those things? And, And so far, like part of the reason why it's not working is because- He's not really screening all that often. And he was like, never going to. No, no, no. I mean, it just, it it doesn't happen. You see him do that stuff on ATOs. 
on set plays, but like improvisationally, he's just he's not going to cut from the corner. He's, he's not a good defender either, and I don't. No. I don't like sure he can like jump a passing lane, have a spectacular steal and dunk. He's just not an attentive defender on a possession by possession basis. And the only reason why the Lakers two years ago made the finals was because they had this locked in veteran defense that was just great possession of possession. They blew that up. It didn't work. I don't know what that means for the deadline. I don't know if that's what we're kind of trying to get to, Sam, but I don't see an no, answer. No, I don't the see it happening. I mean, I keep reporting the stuff that won't happen. Um, yeah. You know, Philly's not going to happen. Um, I don't think Sacramento's going to happen. Just thinking of places that I've heard him tied to. Um, no, we can – I don't know that there is a trade component. And I, and I do want to keep going to some of these other teams to get your guys' perspective on on how bad these losses are going to be. We, you know, we kind of hit on the nets. We can go back to it if you want in a moment, but – but Slater, uh, since it's fresh, you just got off this four-game Warriors road trip. They they go out there without Draymond Green because of his calf injury, not knowing that it was, you know, a lot more serious than uh, than than we've later learned. Um, you know, and then Steph is at a hand with Steph. Yeah, he fell on his hand in Chicago and said he even got some PTSD. Remember when Aaron Baines fell on it a couple of years ago, just like shattered his hand, right. forced him to miss like fifty games. But then, I mean, even in the post game, he's like, it's already been ruled out. It's not serious. They were saying they're hopeful he'll play tomorrow, Tuesday. We should probably know soon if he's playing Tuesday. But that doesn't sound serious. The Draymond stuff, much more concerning because it's, it's – Well, it's and they just kind of got – you know, they were yeah. on this run where they were looking like, you know, the best team in the NBA. They were looking somewhat invincible. Um, you know, they, they get they get it handed to them by Memphis. They uh, Give me the, the sequence of events from there. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, like, the, it's not it, – it, Really trails before that, um, but on this road trip, it was one and three. Memphis, Milwaukee killed them, and then they randomly went into Chicago the next night and killed Chicago by right. forty-two, right. which was odd. And then they just lost uh, without Draymond and Steph in Minnesota. So one and three road trip, but in general, um, you know, the thirteen of their last eighteen on the road should have been fourteen and nineteen if that Denver game didn't get postponed. I mean, they've just been very average in that streak. They've been a, basically a bottom ten offense. The defense is. Um, not at you mentioned the word invincible. That was their invincibility. They had this just absurd defense uh, that's tailed off. Some of that is due to no Draymond Green. Obviously, they just yeah. I, I mean, they're in a malaise. I, I to me, I don't have any general concerns about like are they not who we thought they were. I I, I think as long as the main players are there, which now includes Clay Thompson, they're going to be fine. My only per, uh, alarm bell is like Draymond Green's body because part of the reason they were who they were to start the season is because he wasn't just available he was like everywhere on the floor saying he like you know reconditioned his body and he's not drinking nearly as much he's just like you know he's living a better lifestyle and that has allowed this just like electrified version of him defensively to show back up which we all doubted if it would but now he has a calf tightness that they've said is related to something in his lower back, like disc area, like nerve type stuff, like terms you don't want to hear uh, if you're talking about somebody. So, look, they're, they say they're being cautious. It sounds like a reevaluation in two weeks. If he's back and he's back to himself by March, April, May, they are still definite contender. If he's not, they might not be. At Would minimum, you say I think- that he's a better defender than he's ever been right now? Uh, 
I well, it's not from like a steel block disruptive perspective. I mean, there's like I remember a, a Portland series a few years ago. You had like 17 blocks in a four game sweep, it, and you rewatch those highlights, and he's getting to like levels above the rim that he can't get to anymore athletically. But the brain is still his like superpower, and the brain only gets smarter over the years. The brain is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I Especially with less wine, <laughs> yeah, less hung, less Lobos tequila, not as hungover. I just don't remember. I don't know. I I just you watch a lot more Warriors basketball than I do. You see every second that they've played for a very long time. But I just I I he's always been probably the smartest defender in the league. But it's just it. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy, or I don't remember ever seeing a guy who is so constantly in places I didn't even know were the right place until I see him go to that place. You know, well, the craziest thing is when he's like doing that while also yelling at somebody else that like they weren't where they needed to be. He's like, I'm going to come clean this up. As I'm cleaning this up, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, Kaminga, come on. It's just, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, he's, he, to this point had been defensive player of the year. And that is in a league that includes Rudy Gobert that is doing, you know, equally. I was as, just going to say like at yeah. minimum to me, that as far as like actual ripple effects, um, I think Steph's MVP candidacy has fallen off in a pretty significant way. I think Draymond's Defensive Player of the Year candidacy is still strong, but, you know, I mean, missing multiple weeks is never good. And Rudy Gobert, who just missed a few games with health protocols, is is back. I mean, I think he's in the, you know, top eight MVP-wise. And so he's going to be in the Defensive Player of the Year discussion. Yeah. It's odd because Gobert misses some time. The Jazz fall apart. They were one and, and three that, and terrible. Yeah, yeah. Which, and that helps his case. Some because yeah. like, look what happens when he leaves the court. Right. In a, in a weird way, you know, like the Warriors' defense slip in a little bit over the next few games, sure. and that'll help Draymond's case in the if he's back soon. But the problem is, when's he back? There's always that and, unofficial yeah. thing too, where we don't have rules regarding how much Miss time games. is too much yeah. time. But you know, we all know that once you start getting into the 20 game type territory, then people don't like to give you awards anymore. The other thing real quick, uh, last thing for me on the Warriors front is um, what are your uh, quick thoughts on the Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole dynamic, you know, watching Clay deal with his minutes restriction, Jordan get used to a six man role, have some good games, have some not good games. It, it seems like that rhythm wise has thrown them off a bit. Yeah, um, you know, Jordan Poole had been like Clay Thompson's first three games. Jordan Poole had been really quiet. Clay Thompson sits on the backside of a back to back in Chicago. Jordan Poole starts again and like immediately opens the game with like 12 points and then they, they blow him out. And it's even Wiggins, too. You know, Wiggins usage has gone down. And um, because look, Clay Thompson is taking like, yeah, he's only playing 20 to, to 24 minutes, but he's taking like you know, 17 shots in those 20 minutes. I mean, he is getting them up. And I just, uh, I think that that has somewhat disrupted the rotation, but it's also guys have been in and out a bunch, health and safety protocols. I mentioned the Steph Hans stuff. Uh, they've they've just been traveling the country a bit. I'd worry a little bit about pool, like just being as um, productive and effective in the six man role once like the full rotation is back. But at, when you start to worry about Jordan Poole, suddenly, boom, Clay Thompson's not playing this game. Steph Curry's out of that game and he's back in the starting lineup half the time. Gary Payton's currently out uh, who had taken some of Poole's minutes. So uh, it's something to watch. But to me, that's not like issue number one, two or three right now for them. The other thing I'd say, the Jonathan Kaminga is starting to emerge. You know, he, he he had 25 in that Chicago game. He was like, like six dunks. He was great. Guarded DeMar DeRozan. He was good again against Minnesota. 
Um, I just it, to that's something to watch in this stretch without Draymond. Like Kaminga played 33 minutes the last game. Like he's starting to get his opportunity, and we're talking about the seventh overall pick who'd basically been buried. I can't believe that they got him as an incentive to take on Wiggins, who has outplayed D'Angelo Russell. That's just yeah, going to go down. Was, if they win a title, that is going down in Warriors lure. I, well, and Timberwolves lore. I was uh, in Minnesota last night talking to Krasinski, and we're what you know, uh, Kaminga has like two dunks and power moves to the rim. One point, almost hammered one on on, on Towns and got fouled. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, he lo- he looked pretty good with this young core, right? I mean, that should be who should be with Anthony Edwards, and uh, that run really stinks because I don't think there's any like Wiggins regret in Minnesota. There was like faint boos yesterday, but general, that's just like. The Wiggins stuff wasn't really going to work out, but the fact that they ended up losing the seventh overall pick in a loaded draft, because uh, that could have been Kaminga, obviously, but let's say they didn't want Kaminga. It could have been Wagner in Orlando, who's going to be a really good piece moving forward. Davion Mitchell, like that is a value. So would you say, Slater, that the, 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 the Warriors were playing chess in that trade and the T-Wolves were playing checkers uh, to, to play off of that video you put out there with, with Kaminga? <laughs> Apparently, they would be playing neither if you're Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, Kaminga, if anybody didn't see it, he was it was a funny moment at his press conference where he had chess and checkers right next to him on the table, and you guys asked him about it. And apparently, Clay Thompson it was it was part of his rookie hazing that he made uh, uh, Kaminga carry his games around. Yeah, they they make him. You know, I I know in the past they've made rookies like carry the poker chips, but Clay likes to play chess on the plane. So Jonathan Kaminga's walking around with chess, and I don't think he's ever played chess in his life. Warriors are playing chess. All right, good stuff, gentlemen. I'm going to let you get on with your days. Uh, appreciate you as always, Fred. In all sincerity, glad that you're doing well, brother. I know that was not fun for you, so welcome back. We look forward to you diving all the way back into your next coverage. Mr. Slater, hair still looking wonderful as always. Proud of you for that. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.